Welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You, a daily podcast that shines a light on the American justice system and its role in empowering the powerful to take from you. The justice system is the only branch of your government where an individual, rather than the collective, can make the system act for you. It puts power in the individual's hands, but it's broken and being used against you at a time when you need it most. And welcome to Who Wrote That Up For You. I am Sonia Ebron, co-founder at Courtroom 5. And I am Deborah Sloan, the other co-founder at Courtroom 5. We have a delightful show lined up for you today. In a few moments, we will speak with Anna Juliet Kowalski-Solis. She is the owner of Interpretation and Translation Services by Licensed Court Interpreters. And she is, of course, a licensed court interpreter herself. And so we'll be excited to chat about uh, that discipline and, uh, and the services she provides. Uh, before we get there, Deborah, what is on your mind today? The uh, U.S. Uh, government, the uh, Justice Department, is uh, trying to limit the attorney-client privilege, mostly for businesses because uh, attorneys are uh, uh, providing both uh, legal advice and business advice. And attorneys uh, who are representing usually large companies, usually in-house counsel, um, are basically saying that that should be broadened, it should not be limited. And what they're trying to decide is what the the U.S. Supreme Court, should they limit the um, attorney-client privilege to just legal, not business matters? And a business matter would be, you know, some SEC file. You know, it's, I think it's tightly woven. I mean, I'm typically not on lawyer's side about most things, you know, uh, but this one, I think I'm going to go join with the lawyers who actually want a broader interpretation of that because uh, to have it narrow, it's, 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 I think it muddies the waters in terms of the, the client's rights and their ability to go to their attorney and say, should I, should I form a, a B corporation? You know, that, that's a business decision, but you know, uh, it, it's, it's discoverable if, if uh, the Supreme court has its way. So. That's really, really interesting. I don't know why this reminds me of that fuzzy distinction between legal information and legal advice, you know, Mm. Um, but it seems to me it would be very much as difficult, if not more so, to draw a hard and fast line between between legal advice and business advice, you know, in the in in, in the arena of of uh, that privilege. I'd be interested to see how that turns out. That's fascinating. Well, at uh, Courtroom 5, we believe the courts belong to the people, in particular to the people who use them. And we, the people, are coming to claim our courts. So if you are in court without a lawyer or you need to sue someone and can't find a lawyer to represent you, get yourself over to courtroom5.com. Try a limited version of our services for free, and we hope to provide some relief for you there. At this time, it's my pleasure to welcome onto the show Anna Juliet Kowalski Solis. Anna, thank you so much for joining us on Who Wrote That Up for You. Thank you for inviting me. 
You know, this is, I think, our first opportunity to speak with a licensed court interpreter. I'm just so excited to learn more about this field. Could you share your background with us and what got you to becoming a licensed court interpreter? Yes. Before anything, my mother was a an English as a second language teacher. My father is a retired federally certified court interpreter. My sister used to be an interpreter. Now she is an attorney, a judge, I'm sorry. And I have another brother who is also an attorney. So we're we're like a lot of family met my my grandfather was also an attorney and a justice of the peace um attorney. So we come from a line of attorneys and interpreters, court interpreters. Fantastic. And so what does a... I forgot to tell you, uh, my, mo- my mom was from Mexico. So we were raised in Mexico. As you know, we I live in a border town five minutes away from Matamoros, Tamaulipas, Mexico, and, and here in Brownsville, Texas. So that is another reason why it is important that um, we have interpreters here in Brownsville. Absolutely. No doubt about it, particularly on uh, border communities. There is a lot going on there uh, that lands in the courts. And so I'm very, very happy to hear that you're serving there. And so um, what is the licensure p- process? It's one thing to you know, be adept in a second language, another language. How do you get licensed um, as a court interpreter? And that is a very good question because many people think that because they live in a border town and because they know both languages, English and Spanish, it is very easy to be an interpreter. But in fact, it is not because there are many aspects. There's the uh, legal uh, language, then and there's many technical words. and, And you have to be acquainted with that because not even... English speakers know all the terminology, so so you have to be knowledgeable on those aspects. And there are several exams that you can take to get a license, and they're extremely hard. Uh, there's a, a federal exam, that's one of them. Then there is the other, the state exam, there, that's another one. And then and there's the immigration exam. So it depends on the areas I I took the uh, immigration exam and I passed it. I did not have to take the the district because I was grandfathered in, and that means the because I was here for many years, I was able to uh, ha- acquire the license. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so what does a court interpreter do? It may seem uh, like a no brainer, but what is the the what are the mechanics? Uh, When do you get called into a hearing uh, to to do your interpretation? First of all, the attorney with his client, they need to request an interpreter for an individual that who does not speak or understand the English language. That is the first step. Then uh, I take uh, what I do is I take care of cases, criminal and civil cases, hearings and pleas to whoever. And if an individual doesn't understand what's happening and, you know, it's it's very um, some people think that it is not important, but it is because only when I went to uh, France, that's when I understood 
how ugly it is when you don't understand what's happening. So now I, I, I am in the place of those poor individuals who do not understand what is happening, what they're being charged with. There are several forms of interpretation and one is simultaneous. Simultaneous is when the judge speaks and I speak at the same time. So I'm hearing the English language and then I am uh, interpreting in Spanish. Uh, that is that is that is a mode of interpretation that I mostly do. Understood. Understood. And all of the uh, court proceedings are in English. Is that correct? I mean, if you had a, say, a Spanish speaking judge and uh, and attorneys, would they be able to conduct the hearings in Spanish, for instance? Very good question. No. And the reason is because the record is in English and because that is the right of that defendant. So the judge cannot interpret in a criminal case, although the law uh, allows them to interpret in civil cases, but not in criminal cases. And there is a law in a border in this border town where in civil cases they they can interpret in Spanish, but it is a little bit confusing and and maybe some judges may think that they can do it in the criminal cases, but uh, there's a possibility that that a trial may be uh, dismissed or, or uh, the uh, you know a criminal case or a charge may be dismissed because of that factor. It's fascinating. That is fascinating. So you can't interpret, a, a judge can't interpret in criminal case, but they can uh, in civil cases if they're able to, right? And so I imagine there are some judges who aren't able to. And so you get this um, as a defendant or someone in a civil case, you might get a judge, if you're lucky, who can speak Spanish, and, and or you might get a judge who can't. And so are there um, guarantees for interpretation? If you need an interpreter, do you have to pay for it? Or does, does the court provide that for, for everyone who needs one? The court provides interpreters for criminal cases, but they don't have to provide an interpreter for civil cases. In civil cases, they may bring an interpreter who is not certified. Or in many cases, the attorneys speak Spanish, so they, they can assist with that aspect. Unfortunately, many do not render the proper interpretation. So that can be another issue. Wow, that is difficult. That is difficult. Fantastic. Well, so I wanted to chat about the uh, the salaries. There's some controversy around the uh, the salary levels for court interpreters. I imagine some of that is is national, but are there particular uh, issues around border communities or just what is the uh, what is the what's happening around salaries uh, for court interpreters? Wow, that's a very good question. You see. So what's happening is that since we live in border towns, everybody speaks Spanish. So it is, but nonetheless, they they cannot pass the exam. So uh, what's happening is that because they think that is it is not necessary, interpreters are not necessary because everybody speaks Spanish. 
but many times uh, some of them may get, I don't want to talk bad, but uh, all I, I have to say is that the salaries are very low uh, for court interpreters. It's, it, it is not very low maybe, but compared to interpreters who are freelancing, it is because the salaries uh, are 40,000 a year. And uh, for freelancers, they're earning a, around 180,000 or 100 and 100,000 a year. So that was one of the reasons why I decided to be, you know, to change to be a freelance interpreter. Absolutely. There's a, that's a, that's a no brainer for sure. Why do you think the salaries are so low then? I mean, I understand there's a supply and demand uh, issue there with lots of people speaking uh, Spanish in a border community for sure, but these are uh, oftentimes uh, state uh, employment jobs. These are state, uh, state jobs, right? Are these rates set um, artificially low for that reason? It is my opinion, my personal opinion, that it, they're so low because uh, they believe that everybody understands English and Spanish. Yeah, yeah, understood, understood. That is uh, amazing. It is probably unfortunate, unfortunate for folks who have to pay um, for for private solutions, but really good that those solutions exist uh, there. I, I imagine that you, particularly in a border community, have your, your plate full uh, with clients. Are they mostly attorneys or do pro se litigants handling their own uh, civil matters reach out to, to court interpreters as well? Well, right now I cannot answer that question because this is very reason. I just, I'm free. I have been freelancing for one week in my <laughs> office. <laughs> Understood. My office, I, I'm barely opening an office like next week. We don't have electricity yet, but let's hope that everything goes well. Absolutely. Well, I certainly hope so as well. Are you available to pro se litigants in, uh, in, in your community or is your uh, practice focused on serving attorneys? No, I'm available for anybody and um, I will be available also for translations. Any legal documents that you need to be trans, that, that somebody needs to be, to have them translated, we can do that also. So we will also cover that area. Fantastic. Fantastic. I absolutely understand the move uh, to uh, to private industry. Um, Anna, I'm sharing your the name of your company and your telephone number uh, for those in the Brownsville, Texas area who, who needs a licensed court interpreter. Uh, you want to reach out to Interpretation and Translation Services by licensed court interpreters. Uh, the phone number there is 956 Four six five five thousand, and so sure uh, you'll be served well uh, by by your agency. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing some of the challenges uh, around court interpretation. I wish you and your your new service best of luck. And thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. God bless. 
Fantastic. That is fantastic. Great to know those services exist. I know, you know, there's a national need for court interpreters, but I can only imagine the demand uh, for them in a border community like Brownsville, Texas. And I'm glad to know uh, that that exists. It is really unfortunate that uh, what our government should be providing us um, have to be purchased on the on the private market. You know, that's um, that is a discourage. And, you know, to think that you would in a community like Brownsville, Texas, um, take a salary of 40,000 for such a valuable service. Yeah, the court should do better. They should do better. Yeah, they should do better. But best of luck to Anna uh, there. Well, Deborah, what is the um, uh, the answer to the last quiz? And what do you have teed up for next? Well, it was a true or false. True or false? Only a plaintiff for summary judgment. That is totally false. Either a plaintiff or a defendant can move for summary judgment. That means that there are no genuine issues of material fact and should uh, prevail as a matter of law. Basically, that's what a summary judgment is. Okay, today's question, which of the following is not an example of an affirmative defense? Which of the following is not an example of, of an affirmative defense? And as you know, affirmative defense is a one whereby if everything the plaintiff says is true, the defendant should still prevail. Or I'm sorry, the defendant has does not uh, have any liability for the injury. So, is latches, is it waiver, is it accord and satisfaction, or is it malice? Which one is not an example of an affirmative defense? All right. I always get my double negatives um, uh, tripped up there, so I'm going to <laughs> going to be excited to see the answer to that one. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's great. Well, that's all we have for you today on Who Wrote That Up For You. As always, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Are you feeling beleaguered, angry, or afraid, as if things are spinning out of control and you're powerless to stop them? It's easy to just let things slide and hope they don't get worse. But they often do get worse. The thing is, you're not powerless. Our courts belong to us, and their purpose is to give power to the powerless. Don't let your grievances pile up without redressing them. You can handle this in court, or if someone takes you to court, you can take them to school.